You're listening to Plasticity, making art from inherited waste, where your hosts, Griffin Nordstrom and me, Dominica Queen, talk about our ongoing work with waste plastics as an art medium. This episode is about our relationship with the sort of heritage crafts like quilting, like weaving, like crochet, that we sort of touched on in the sort of intro thing, and I'm going to sort of challenge both of us to not sort of go right back to, oh, this person was a quilter, and that's where I started technically quilting and sort of going in that backstory. But just with the plastic, with our work, how we sort of relate and work with that base sort of tradition that we are sort of working with. For me, I definitely feel like there's sort of a weird internal dialogue and vague passive-aggressive fight because I think there's this weird little Puritan woman in my (laughs) head who has like set up a homestead in my hippocampus or something and (laughs) she is very judgmental of any sort of non-functional sewing related work like every time I like make a plastic thing it's like oh there's a hole in here or something she it's a very much like well that was a waste of time wasn't it and (laughs) it it she is empowered by the fact that you know I made a lab quilt out of just fabric and you know what it I use it and I love it and it feels great to have something that I made sort of warming me and it makes it so much more of a nice experience but also I also really love the idea of you know working in the unique material and sort of saying well you're dead and also it's a different time than that puritan experience and it's it's worth exploring this material and just because it's not 1000 percent functional or it has some little intricacies or just non-traditional nature to it doesn't make it any less valid as an object or as an art yeah oh i'm so glad that you mentioned your relationship kind of in terms of a persona (laughs) of some kind that you're kind of struggling with to Mm -hmm. keep keep the conversation going between yourself and like past traditions that i feel like i have versions of different relatives in my head or like just general forces that have kind of gotten personified for me too i don't have like a puritanical woman in my head i have a very old uh hispanic woman in my head (laughs) and and for me it's not about functionality or not functionality it's about what I am doing with these skills because one of the biggest expectations that was put on me by society and my family and just all of the pressures were that like you as woman with woman bits should be raising a family right your job is make household your job is raise children your job is produce more humans and that is something that at least at this point i have decided not to do so Mm. yeah there is so much baggage for me around that because i am quilting and sewing and embroidering these beautiful patterns that i have like 
come up with myself, but they're definitely full of DNA from art movements and past habits from both my Hispanic side and my Appalachian side, but I'm making things that are, even though they tend to be on the more aesthetically lovely side, Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm using the materials that I'm using and the fact that I'm living my life the way I'm living it is kind of an angry (laughs) statement that like... (laughs) Uh, yeah, guess what? I am not going to raise children in this hellscape. Do you see what I have to work with right now? Do you see how I'm having to try to piece together beauty out of this trash right now? Hell no, am I going to (laughs) be... It's like, no, I have a choice here, and I made it, and I want to say that some of this is y'all's fault. (laughs) You know, it's not my fault this is all here. What's what's going on? So, yeah, I have, like, this... This sort of like, uh, this sort of amorphous Hispanic maternal like matriarch sitting in the back of my head, going like, "Well, now you can make the socks for your children," and I'm like, "I'm not, I'm not, I won't, won't be doing that." <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's funny. Like, do you ever have arguments with that person? Because I definitely have arguments with that person in my head. I don't. I don't know if there's so much like. I don't think I'm like enough aware of it. Like, I want to call her Ruth. I think Ruth is her name. <laughs> I'm not that aware of her, and half the time I agree with her, which is weird. Like, I, I sometimes joke that like I have way more in common with like the a Puritan woman of the 1800s than I would care to admit as my you know being myself as a person and the things I create like yeah I do whenever I walk into like like a Catholic cathedral and stuff it's all gaudy and there's everything going on and Ruth goes you know well that's a bit much now is it and I'm like she's not wrong why can't people have this in their homes you know I I agree with her for different reasons but we're still agreeing it's like well I don't and then so then when she starts talking about other stuff it's like you know it's a valid concern Ruth I I kind of I sort of like hmm there's validity to this there's a logic to this i trust your input on other things so then there isn't as much of a argument with her and part of me like it's like one of those like weird like i don't want to research this i don't want to like i won't ever have to actually interact with this so i don't there's no real material like testing of this but like i wonder when like thinking about the like depression era feed sack quilts and that sort of era that sort of lifestyle approach the approach to reality if those people Mm -hmm. would if that if that like group of people if there be a decent amount of them who are like actually responding positively to this kind of work like i i never thought of it before actually which i'm kind of irritated by because it seems so like working that feed sack quilt idea it seems like such an obvious connection but it was i got my artwork published in Murgoat Magazine, which is it's a very new thing. It well, the magazine part they're like a sort of land development, very environmentally conscious, based in either Kentucky or Tennessee. And the writer, whose name I also unfortunately forget, it might have been her last name was Griffin. I know because I got confused by the email they sent. It might be Lindsay <laughs> Griffin. I don't, I won't swear by anything, but she sort of related working with the plastic and quilting with those feed sack quilts and like talking about like the sort of like the old viewpoint like use it out wear it out 
go without that sort of perspective on yeah, stuff. And I yeah. think, you know, maybe Ruth wouldn't hate my guts. Yeah, I, she, I honestly don't think she would. I think that, like, sure, <laughs> y'all would have reasons. stuff to argue about, but, like, <laughs> you, you could probably get through a dinner together is what I'm suggesting, <laughs> you know? And I kind of feel that way, too. Um, so my my background is, like, full of a lot of desperation. Um, the Catalan side of my family you know like just a generation and a half ago was like trying not to starve to death because of the spanish civil war and you know like one set of grand grandparents emigrated to mexico because it was safer you know and i know that like currently generally in this geography mexico is not where you go to be safer generally that's not the what whether reality bears out on this or not but like they went to mexico and raised a family and had a good life because it was not safe for them to be in spain because of the language and the culture they represented because like it was illegal to be speaking catalan and you know doing any of our family traditions and stuff for like a while fascism is a real problem (laughs) real bummer that one (laughs) yeah it's a real bummer so i have background on on my hispanic side that went through some stuff you know like we're talking about if you want a dress you better be making it if you want dinner you better be growing it or finding it or like it you know all of these like make do situations that my ancestors have gone through to get me here and you know i think that being able to make um stuff out of discards is a really strong connection for me and then you know on the appalachian side of things i mean it's the same thing if you're a subsistence farmer in appalachia like, you just, right. you have to figure some stuff out. Nobody's bringing you a dress for the holiday party. Right. It might be hard enough to even find cloth, right? And then oh, yeah, you get absolutely. back to those feed sack quilts, right? And those feed sack dresses. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, like, the even outside of, like, the, like, the rural communities, even with, like, the mining towns and the stuff like that, they did not have the, they were, you know, being nickel and dimed to get bare essentials in those mining stores which was the only place sometimes they could get anything so that was really like a well here's the bag of flour that's obviously a necessity that yard of fabric which i would really love because my clothes are tatters at this point i can't afford that so i'm gonna make the clothes out of the feed sack itself like that was so like our i would guess it would be for me it was it was my grandparents generation was the last generation that really had a rough time um like you know my family has never been rich or anything but like we did okay right um and like it's funny because those are the same folks that i my tension with this work that keeps me interested and keeps me making stuff is the tension between like what is expected of me traditionally versus you know what i'm doing with it but at the one, on the one hand, like, I used to, at, at, at a certain point, I completely discarded most of my, like, handcraft pursuits as nothing more than, like, very hobby, like, let's do this 
because I'm bored today, not trying to, like, build a body of work or anything. So I had kind of discarded all of that because I thought, well, like, I'm not going to be the kind of housewifey, mother-type, matriarch-type person that is expected of me and this doesn't fit in my context. And so a lot of those methods of making lost meaning for me and I almost got kind of bitter about them because I was like great I don't know how to do my taxes but boy can I do a pillowcase you know like yeah they were associated with things that you didn't want to do yeah and I have to tell you like now I'm at the point where all of those skills that I got taught early that I'm just like growing and expanding now they're really, really precious to me, and me using them feels like the part of my traditions that I do like, that I do want to embrace. And I have finally gotten to the point where, like, yeah, it's still associated with all of that weight of expectation of previous generations, but right. now I feel like I now I feel like actually being in an artistic dialogue with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Before right. I was just like, I don't even want to talk about this. And now, like, this all started with my, my hope chest idea that has still not come to complete fruition because it's totally complicated. Um, <laughs> but I have a hope chest, and I know other, like, different families do hope chests in different ways. My family right. made me make things for the hope chest, and then it was also filled with other heirlooms. So the hope chest is, like, filled up with things like handmade baby clothes, which, if that's not baggage for somebody who's not having children, I don't know what is. But it's <laughs> like, this was your hand. This is, I made this for your dad, and you can give it to your baby. And I'm just like, well. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this hope chest that I hadn't unpacked in, like, years and years and years. Um, because it was kind of painful for me to think about because I didn't want to let my family down. By not doing another generation of, like, humans. By not, like, passing things on in that way. There are lots of ways to pass things on into the future. And I just wasn't ready to, like, think about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I had just been carrying this box from one place that I live to another place that I live without even looking inside of it. Like, there were a couple of tablecloths I used on the top layer, but, like, I hadn't messed with it at all right and then one day i decided to unpack it and i like literally unpacked my baggage that day and i found Mm. so many beautiful things in there Mm -hmm. like i was just like oh my god why have i been in an argument with this hope chest for so long like there's so much precious precious stuff in here and it's really interesting like technically interesting and so that helped me so much and now like i just want now I'm just obsessed with the concept of hope chests, and I want to hear about everybody's like <laughs> weird little trousseau uh, situation. That's what they're called in French, right? Do you know? It's a treasure trousseau? chest. A trousseau? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know well, about that. I... It's a whole dowry thing. Yeah, and the whole attachment <laughs> oh, to it being right. a dowry is a real problem for me, too. I mean, like, I am right. married, but I... <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem with the idea of like a woman needing a dowry to get married. That feels icky yeah, as all it was get weird. out. It's, it's weird. It's weird. It's just weird. It's, it's cringe. It's so yeah. gross. So like back to your puritanical you said her name is mm. Ruth. <laughs> her name is Ruth. Yeah. I, I find it yeah, interesting about Back to Ruth. <laughs> back maybe not back to Ruth. I think Ruth Ruth's had enough uh 
Ruth's had enough recognition for this day, I think. <laughs> That's interesting <laughs> thinking about your thing with the hope chest, because I have the hope chest. It, My maternal grandfather made it, but it's never been, like, it's never been, like, especially, like, weighted in any way to me, because maybe it's because it's not really, I don't think it was necessarily used in that way. Like, I think of it, it held, like, a couple of the quilts my great-grandmother made for me, you know, it's pretty simple quilts they may not even even be in there anymore because we just sort of pulled them out because you know quilt useful but you yeah, know it's just like warm. it's just like baby <laughs> teeth baby clothes but like not in any like real point of way it's just like look at how small you are mm-hmm. or you know that stuff or you are really into trains and it's like okay thanks that is true <laughs> it doesn't really have any weight to it but in that way that sort of it you it did and it did mostly just not as much not as much does but it did to you but i did find it interesting how you sort of we're talking about how like whenever you're now whenever you're reapproaching these sort of crafts that had that really negative association and weight whenever you're a kid i wonder if there's a certain level of liberation from sort of coming from it from the plastic perspective because i feel like on my end there is a certain amount of like independence in that because I didn't really, you know, get that much of an education like you have to learn how to sew, partially because boy, partially because, you know, those people, it kind of skipped my generation. I mean, in a very real way, my the, any sort of sewing tradition on my chunk of the family died with the great-grandmother. It just never continued along. So that wasn't a thing that I ever was super immersed in. So now approaching it, I don't really have that sort of baggage, but I do have the sort of like visual story you know associates of you know all the family would gather together at like the community center they'd have all these quilting bees like constantly and everyone got a quilt and they were you know experts craftsmen expert sewers expert quilters whatever you know and i am i don't see myself as ever sort of reaching that level of craft excellence simply because i have I have my hands dipped in a lot of different things. I don't have that much instruction or, like, heritage expertise available to me. It's I'm mainly self-taught, and I'm not really – that sort of education is not necessarily accessible or not really something I'm looking for. So I don't yeah. think there's ever going to be – like, I can look at my great-grandmother's pieces, and there's just, like, an understanding of, well, that's not going to be you. You're not going to do this partially because you don't want to and partially because – I mean, the woman was sewing all her life with expert education, probably. So, but then if I say, so I don't feel as necessarily welcome at that sort of table of that tradition because, you know, it's so amateur in comparison. But, you know, bringing the plastic, it sort of liberates me from that. It's like, yeah, you did this, but I'm doing it with plastic. So it's sort of like we're doing different things. So it's like you go to a potluck, you're going to a potluck, and you're not trying to make you're not trying to compete with like the world famous chocolate cake. You're bringing eclairs. Are the eclairs better than yeah. chocolate cake? Maybe, maybe not. But it's an eclair. It doesn't need to beat the chocolate cake. It's an eclair. It's something different. I love that removal of um, com- like that that displacement from competition and comparison. I had never really thought about it in in those terms, but I it's definitely a factor. I just never actually put it into right. words. But yeah, by like switching over to a slightly different medium it gets rid of the context where i'm always trying to measure up to something 
And oh my god, like, I really appreciate very precise, repeatable craft skills on one level, but on the other hand, like, I did that in a couple of mediums. I don't need to do that anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel, like, I'm not after making the perfectly perfect thing. I'm after something else, and I do need skills for it. But, like, when you talk about those quilt shows, oh my god, they're just differently different. (laughs) Yeah. They're clever something different than I am. Yeah, just, like, a complete, robust display of precision and imagination that is just, like, it's excellent and I admire it so much, but I do not want to spend my days unsewing and resewing a corner. Not going to do right. it. Right. Because Never. that's not the important <laughs> part to me. <laughs> right, exactly. <clears throat> but yeah, no, I didn't think about it like that. But that's totally a big factor of it. It removes a certain expectation of of like what things are supposed to be and gives just enough room for how things could be. And mm-hmm. also, you know, I want to say that there is, um, there are some, like, improv quilts and things that I, you know, like, not every quilt that I've ever seen is absolutely precise. Um, like, there's, of course, like, the, the Quilters of Guise Bend, which are just endlessly inspiring, and they just did, like, scrappy improv quilts. Yeah. They were fantastic. Amazing. and. I honestly find them more interesting to look at because I was raised with a lot more focus on precision. Like, the other half of this situation is that my family has been artisans for a while. Um, they were blacksmiths mm-hmm. in Barcelona. Oh, so whenever you're, Oh, yeah. Um, I Fun. think my dad was <laughs> the last person to apprentice. So, yeah, blacksmiths, straight-up blacksmiths. And you know Barcelona has no shortage of wrought iron. And mm. the taille that they had is like, was a big deal. They were very busy <laughs> all the time. And, you know, when you talk about being able to do something with a certain level of craft and repeatability, like, yeah, <laughs> if you're making some really fancy scroll work, like twisted right. wrought iron, you know, it's not, it's not, it's like hand forged. Like you have. You, you know, mm-hmm. you have to learn how to be, make certain repeatable shapes in order to execute on these designs that people are drawing up. And, like, I'm talking about, right. like, my, you know, you go, you take the measurements of the balcony, and then you draw your model, like, by hand, and then you have to, like, spread out, like, all of the pattern pieces, and then make the twists at a certain degree and a certain, like... Right. I mean, not that all of the designs were symmetrical. I mean, the more modern we get, like, the more crazy the designs get. But if you need to make 50 of a leaf, they need to all look the same. Right. Because, you know, and that's the type of, like, precision and execution that I kind of grew up with and grew up looking at. So whenever things are wonky, it's delicious. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. I'm like, look at how crooked it is. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> Like, that's true. All, so yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's also a little bit true of like, we're sort of not to 
vaguely bash on that sort of design philosophy, but like in this current era where we're getting more machine made, machine precise things, if I look at a quilt my great grandmother made, at this point it's it it becomes an issue of was this handmade with love yes. or was this the machine made? And it's easy to identify by the stitching and the quilting, like ex, not expert tip, adept tip, apprentice tip to anyone who's identifying quilts. To pay attention to where the stitches are coming up and down and how even they are because, you know, never, no humans are going to be perfectly even. But in the piecing of it, it's, it's becoming a thing of like, you know, if I want precise, I can go to home goods and I can get the precise, you know, red and white star of bethlehem quilt and it's it's perfect whereas you know a cheese bend or something those are fully one of a kind and those are fully prized by a lot of people and a lot of design aesthetics because they are one of a kind they do have this human touch to them which just is exciting in this you know overproduced environment yeah i think like the i i totally agree with that there's just something like i don't want to devalue the ability to make something precise but at the same time like how do you know at this point like i mean when i think about there are these oh i forget what they're called but there are these like punch cutter things for quilt blocks now where like right. you take your your fabric, which is also manufactured printed, right? So it's not right. even hand painted fabric. It has been nope. you know printed and dyed in a way that like oftentimes, with the exception of like perhaps somebody with a stylus drawing the pattern on a computer, yeah. which again, it all takes skill, okay? Not to devalue it, but to include all of the different things within the medium. Like you can go completely digitally to digital press, printed on nice cotton fabric that has also been woven by machine with very little humor and human setup. Mm-hmm. That gets printed out, then you cut it off the bolt, you run it through these um, die cutters. Like, it's just a machine with a crank on it, and it's, it's like, it cuts you out the perfect triangles with the seam allowance and everything. And you can right. get kits to make the, like, a certain kind of quilt. And then, like, you machine sew all the pieces together, and then you can put it on a quilting machine and... Like, not even free motion quilt it. Like, the quilting machine will just quilt it for you. Yeah. So then, and then if you want to put, like, a custom embroidered label, they have machines, like, your sewing machine can do that, too. So Mm -hmm. it becomes so precious to have things crooked, you know? Like, a screw-up is now valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I I personally, I do not, unless the screw-up is, like, clearly, like, a structural weakness or something like that i don't like fix those or unhook any um pull out any of the threading on any of my sewing if that you know I, I do a curve and the curves a little bit there's a bit of a pleat to it or it's a little bit wonky it's just okay it's just it gonna just be wonky it, yeah it's just gonna be human 
Yeah, and I think it's so funny that, like, we're working with plastic and trying to make it look more human. That's funny to me. <laughs> um, we're putting but... something human into something at its core completely inhuman. Yeah, it's like we took all of this fossil fuel oil out of the ground and processed it in a lab and pressed it into sheets, and now we're trying to somehow resuscitate it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. live! Live! <laughs> it's, it's not even reanimating a corpse. It's literally going over to, you know, a cinder block and just being like, okay, now, we're, now you're going to come to life. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Because there was no, not, there wasn't even like the graphic designer on a fabric pattern who at least there's some like human sort of hand designed aspect of that. I mean, someone designed the Kroger logo, you know, a decade yeah, or so but ago, but that's it. it. <laughs> they designed yeah. it once and printed it like 18 billion times or whatever. Exactly. You know, uh, so it's like, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of, of baggage. And so, like, whenever I think of the connection to traditional craft is just like such a, a windy squirrely road which is probably why i'm still into this because you know <laughs> the more baggage the better it's There's it's much more satisfying oh and then yeah. i have to say like one of the things that was floating through my head talking about um making things by hand is the idea of like crochet for example mm-hmm. i think that they probably i mean what is it boston dynamics or who is it mit i can't remember there's a a company or a lab or something that they make oh i feel like so bad for not remembering any of the details of this lab or group of people because i was like such a a fan of it Mm -hmm. at a certain point but there are people that are making really really advanced robotic technology with like articulate hands and you know like one of the more famous things that has been made are like these robots that are bipedal and they run around and they can fall over and you can like they can pick themselves back up you know yeah um so i really like i'm interested about those ideas but Crochet is kind of a funky thing. You can machine knit a lot of things. You cannot machine crochet anything at a reasonable, scalable method. Right. So, like, whenever I crochet, it gives me, like, a dark little grin where I'm like, you can't, the robots can't do this one. It's just (laughs) me right now. They're going to figure it out. But for now, it's just me. It's just me and all my other humans. (laughs) doing the crochet so anything that's crocheted (laughs) is made by people which that's also probably uh you know an important thing to consider whenever you're looking at the price of a garment that's been crocheted yeah there's a bit of a no matter (laughs) there's a bit of a darkness in that area it's like the shane se is it how is it pronounced shane i don't care i think shane hall yeah Whenever it's like the Shane Hall, it's like, oh, I got this crochet top for only $5. It's like, well, Ooh. I know what happened there, bud, and it's not good. Yeah, yeah. it's like you probably shouldn't have, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly What are we going to do? Just try to be as considerate as possible as we move through the world. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's all you can do. But, yeah, but it's just like me and my people making the crochet. <laughs> so it makes me feel very special. I still... um. 
I still have a fraught relationship with crochet because I don't like counting it, but whatever. We're I'm mm. making friends. We're 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 getting along better lately. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of like the friends and respect, I do have to ask this sort of your your experience with this, how the practicing people in the traditional craft like sort of appreciate or not appreciate your work. Because I remember you've talked about how the rug hooking people really responded well to the plastic work, and that was really oh great working with Susan Feller and stuff. But, and I remember whenever I've been like sort of doing a little bit of my plastic stuff and showing it to like the family members who do quilt, there's been like a sort of, that's cool, sort of that sort of soft, like, that's neat. Mm-hmm. Okay, sort of response. But I also feel like I have been. In certain, like, sewing, quilting groups, you know, the the old lady quilt club, you know, as it were be, they, mm-hmm. there has been, I would, I would describe my experience with that sort of uh, half-colleague audience thing, not a mm-hmm. ton of, not a ton of response respect for or even just like on social media i have been Mm -hmm. trying to with my art you know i'm doing a lot of plastics a lot of recycled art i've been trying to sort of get more connected with the you know eco art recycled art groups and the quilting groups and weirdly i've had trouble with the eco arts group but that's a different thing but the quilting people don't there's been a decent wall i've noticed i did not expect there at all where it's like I'm not sure what that hesitation or disinterest is, but I didn't know how you've been experiencing that sort of, yeah. Yeah, so I have had many very good experiences with the rug hooking community, but I think that that might be because rug hooking is something you do with scraps, like just inherently Mm. as that tradition is. So, like, you know, like, rug hooking, the earliest rug hooking stuff that I know about is, like, you're in the 1700s, your wool whatever has worn out, well, you live in a stone house, and it's cold, and you live in New England (laughs) or England, and it's cold, (laughs) and so you rip up your scraps and then you turn it into a rug so your house doesn't suck and that's that was just the whole vibe and i think that that make do vibe despite the fact that like pretty much everybody making rug hooked rugs now is like working with highly expensive hand dyed fancy fancy materials the vibe is still make do the vibe is still yeah and i bought this 27 dollar a yard i bought this 50 dollar a yard hand dyed piece of golden fleece (laughs) 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 to cut into little strips to make a rug that you could theoretically walk on but we will only put it on the wall like Mm -hmm. But also those same people are the ones who are like, and last week I cut up my yoga pants and hooked a rug out of them. <laughs> so I, like I think that there just is a wider spectrum of things happening there. I haven't messed with any of the quilty people yet, but right. like 
I think that everybody who... I'm always really loud and kind of forward about what the hell I'm doing because mm-hmm. that's how you avoid the people who don't want to know about it. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm, I roll up and I'm like, hello, I'm crazy. <laughs> Would you like to continue to talk with me? If not, to the left, <laughs> you know, to the left, to the left. I don't right. care. So I have been, um, I've had some very good receptions however i have had some resistance around like making people understand exactly what it is that i'm doing um Uh and and i'll tell you like there is a difficulty with getting people to value it because i'm so forward about the fact that it's reuse um right yeah which i know that like in some cases like if i had a really clean pristine body of work that made a lot of sense and then the fact that it was recycled plastic was more of a footnote that would probably be a little bit easier for some people to approach but i think that it goes against what i'm trying to do so i'm just kind of letting it be hard right now um and the other thing is that i think that i have so i've tried to teach classes and you know the folks that do show up to my classes have a good time like I've never had any bad feedback or anything but it's hard to get people to turn up because when you say hey I'm doing a quilting class we're gonna make a lap quilt everybody knows what you do with a lap quilt you put it on your lap it's great (laughs) they're warm we like them okay right if you go to a paint and sip and we say hey everybody we're gonna paint a sunset with some trees you know, and right. and we're going to sip some wine. And then everybody goes and does that because what you do with the thing is very obvious. You either frame it and put it in your house or you leave it in a corner of your closet. But those are the two things that you do and people <laughs> already know that. Right. But whenever I show up and I'm like, we are going to make an embroidered plastic uh, hanging art piece. People are like, why would I do that? Where would that fit in the context of my life? And -hmm. it's kind of hard for people. So the people who are most enthusiastic about my classes tend to be already the type of people who do, like, multimedia scrapbooking and stuff. Right. Who who are, like, already a little bit of this, a little bit of that type of people. Like, the kind of people who would make a scrap journal... Or what mm-hmm. I think they're called crow books. Have you ever heard of crow books? I haven't, but I'm my mother's scrapbooks, so I'm kind of familiar with the general sort of trans changing of that, but the same concepts going on, right? Yeah, I get that. So, so the the crow books, you just like you have a regular sketchbook, but then you just assemble all kinds of weird things. The more shiny things, the better. Like you cut down pop cans and tape them in there. You scraps of fabric glue glitter just all of the stuff like you said like scrapbooking (laughs) so you end up with like this crazy object that has is just dense with all different kinds of mediums so those i think are more my people and i think i just need to seek them out the kind of people who are acquiring hobbies to acquire them so that they can have them later that they don't know what they're going to do with them yet but it's interesting (laughs) but yeah it's been hard to be like okay we're going to learn how to fuse plastic today. And then people are like, why? 
would I do that? Yeah. What yeah. What purpose does that serve in my life? So I'm just trying to find. It's kind of exhausting, but I'm realizing that we kind of have to build an aesthetic around recycled plastic objects right. and contextualize them for people, so that they know, like, oh yeah, that will hang in my bathroom above the light switch and i know that and this has been contextualized for me and it will be important as any piece of art but i think the fact that what i'm doing is a little bit weird makes people not know what to do with it like you get a big huge painting it hangs above the couch that's what you do right but you get like an awesome plushy um (laughs) bird (laughs) And I'm like, I know what to do with that. That goes on the shelf in my living room. But other people don't know that it goes on the shelf in their living room yet, you know? Right, right. Or, like, it gets hung from the ceiling. You know, like, they're just, people need the context, and there just isn't a lot of it. There's starting to be more context for those, like, extruded recyclable things, though, which is making me happy. So I think people are starting to get used to the idea of the texture, at least. But it's an uphill battle on that front. Yeah, it is sort of a weird situation where it's, from it's not just the content it's the literal material that's just foreign to people and sort of like how do you contextualize decor art like like especially like the stuff that's sort of on the simple level it's a plushie don't give it to your dog don't give it to your kids it's decorative put it on a shelf don't put it on the floor and that's sort of like having that sort of thing like it's obvious never it's like a porcelain thing or whatever but like whenever it's plastic it suddenly becomes like a weird vague thing and it's also i feel like it's also a weird dialogue of finding your audience in like the aesthetic stuff because working with recycled materials eco-conscious materials i think of someone like in elkins uh nevada triple the paper maker yeah she she works with paper she's very like very uh earthy very cottage core like very warm and nature and farming and all that sort of stuff in her space in her space i don't know if plastic makes sense because it's she hand makes paper she uses flour to make paper and it's like just very raw earthy and then even though it's the sort of towards the same eco eco friendly stuff conceptually we're in the same lane but then whenever it comes to the aesthetics of it it's like different i'm yeah i'm putting a shiny piece i'm putting effectively shiny processed garbage into that same space which garbage in the right way but like it is different and then on the flip side if you go with someone who's more in line with that sort of like maybe thinking like the plastics the 70s that sort of aesthetic things and you look at those people you know where are the people who love like that bright in your face like 70s feel of like the mass produced like uh andy warhol freaking prints and stuff like that where are those people that also appreciate like handcrafted work like there's there has to be an overlap somewhere but like i'm not always running into those people because yeah it's it's a specific venn diagram of people who appreciate highly processed things and very bold thing and people who appreciate folk art but not folk art not not folk art like 
historical folk art folk art like yeah. contemporary folk art like right the, right. the art that folks are making <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah where are those people i know they exist i've seen some of them i just need to find more like we wherever they are this is your message yeah. we're making art for you <laughs> <laughs> hit us up yeah. um <laughs> so far my primary demographic is other artists and making art for other artists is a validating space to be in because you get good feedback but also artists aren't a great demographic for trying to sell stuff because artists are famously not exactly the most wealthy demographic <laughs> yeah well and you know like it's always nice when you have something that you've made that can transcend both of those spaces of both colleagues and the public right like ooh, that's right. the because, like, sometimes you make something that's got, like, really broad appeal, and then, like, your art buddies are like, I mean, yeah, it's chocolate chip cookies. Like, we like that. But whenever right. you can make something that other people look at more more superficially, maybe not completely superficially, but people who look at it superficially and go, wow, this is interesting because X. And then your friends are like, yeah, and it's interesting because Y. That's mm -hmm. so nice. I've yeah. made a couple things like that. Um, but not a whole ton of them yet, but I just want, I want to connect with more, more folks that are like into that bright aesthetic, but get folk art and get craft and get, right. you know, the time it takes. Cause the other thing is that like, you know, the products that we make are generally labor intensive, you know, they have a level of production that fabric does not require. And I think people i don't think people overvalue fabric but also i can say that like with the lap quilt that i made if i made a plastic one yeah the exact same size and general pattern and stuff i would bet people be willing to pay double the one for the fabric even though mm -hmm. with the fabric that i'm using i was using like thrift shop fabric so like you know five bucks in fabric material costs max versus you know an extra hour at the minimum I had to spend to make turn the plastic into a usable material for something like that and it it's yeah. more expensive in counting yeah. labor yeah I mean it's like the thing that people don't always understand unless they get to know us is that on first blush you think right. yeah this is put together like a fabric object but what they don't really understand is that it's more like we have to go find the sheep yes and then shear them and then dye it and then spin the wool and then make the thingy Literally. i mean it's not quite that bad you know but it is yeah. much more like you have to process your materials it's like folks that make uh dyed clay like that's right. hard like you have to like yeah. do a bunch of things i don't even understand like colored clay that's not just um terracotta or whatever like there's a whole side right. like there's you have to measure things in grams they also need a respirator you know what i mean like it's a whole right. thing or <laughs> or thinking more simply and going back to someone else like with the paper makers you know i've made yeah. paper nevada makes paper whenever i've been at sales and stuff and i'm selling you know drawings on handmade paper you're like oh drawings i'm like it's on handmade paper you're like oh wow that's so cool tell me about that Whenever I'm like, here's a mm -hmm. Sharpie thing, it's on plastic. People are like, oh, okay. 
yeah, no response like the amazement. I think we need to find a way to romanticize <laughs> processing plastic. Like we need to <laughs> we need to film some videos of us like carefully like flattening our bags and like cutting <laughs> specific things out and we need to put like some like either really really nasty hip hop over it or like some really really <laughs> chill vibes music one or the other maybe both uh to just like give off the vibes of like the people who make videos of like uh uh drop spindle spinning right, right. like I, we need to make but it's so funny like it looks weird because you know the material we're working with has that con context of trash it just right. does have that context of trash which is the whole deal but anyways yeah. i think I, I feel like i'm starting to go into a circle with this logic but yeah, yeah. it's so it's so connected <laughs> like i wonder how much uh folks had to battle about like the flower sack things that they were making i guess they probably didn't need to battle about it so much because they were making them for personal use which that's another thing i've made some yeah. things for myself that i really appreciate out of plastic like i have a couple of um mesh bags that i keep my fruit in that i made right. so like i crocheted a net and i made it into a bag and then i put a stick on it and now it hangs on my wall and it keeps my oranges safe <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and i really like it and that's one of the more satisfying things i've made not because it's useful but because it's it's uh aesthetically pleasing i made it out of like the brown plastic bag and it you know it serves i get to see it it's nice right and but and i'm not trying to convince anybody of its value because i know its value because it's keeping my oranges safe you know yeah and there is totally like a validity in that like you know making plastic for your making plastic art for yourself is totally valid and it's great and it doesn't we don't have to figure out how it's marketed or how to change public opinion about how much it should be valued at because it's just for ourselves yeah. but you know, if we're trying to actually, like, make an impact, I can't be making, I can't surround myself in it, it, like, change my entire, you know, all my pillowcases, all my blankets, everything I use is made out of plastic. Like, that's just not, Yeah, that's. Not I don't feasible. want that. So, I need yeah. to, like, for people to actually support and invest me spending more time in actually reusing this material and being able to reuse as much plastic material there has to be that sort of financial security or whatever to be able to invest time into it so there is a yeah. need i have so many ideas on this front i could talk for hours about like how yeah. to i feel like we should have a different this should be yeah, a topic we for should the have future. a different we talk episode more about this marketing yeah this selling that whole episode. life of it but i think yeah. we're we talked about the folk art and that could we could lean into that again in the future with that conversation but that's a, yes <laughs> that's like the so. major that's the major thing yeah mm -hmm. so house uh, more bag any... supply <laughs> um okay so my bag supply is actually fine i want Love more that. purple i want more yellow but to be honest i'm not gonna get into using those for a little bit thankfully mm -hmm. But, oh, my kingdom for a dozen purple bags. Like, <laughs> that would be so amazing. I have three. I have them in a special place. I have them <laughs> in their own little pocket 
and they're just there and I don't touch them. It's like it's like the the good snacks. Like you just keep mm, the good snacks for right, later and you never right. eat them. Like it's the it's the cool <laughs> dress. It's the cool dress that you don't wear, you know? It's like, yes, <laughs> I will wear you to the most important event in my life which I have not had yet, you know? It's just yeah. What about you? How's your stash going? I could honestly use a interesting bag, you know. I with the doll, I ended up using like this really cool bag. It was, I don't remember what where it was from, but it had like this nice green square in the back of it, which really was. It was, I think it was actually like something weird. It was like J.C. Penny or something mm. like that. It was just so randomly like this beautiful green just in that square. I just think I want to play with some bags with like pretty designs or whatever. This includes a Target bag. I would. I would kill for a few target bags. I today t- turned and Ooh. turned an old plastic project into like a very, a very basic cloak, let's say, cause it's literally just a rectangle that I just added to clasps to. And it had a featured a lot of target bags and I didn't realize how much I miss those guys. They're so nice to work with. Okay. I occasionally shop at target, so I will keep an <laughs> eye out for you. Yeah. And they have a nice gray. Like, the Target bags at my Target are, like, Mm -hmm. a very light gray. Interesting. Which is one of the things that I want to do that I haven't done is a lot more gradient projects. Oh, You know? Mm -hmm. Like, I just want... I want to do a sweep from, like, white to black. Right. And I think I have all of the colors to do that now. I mean, I know it's just like black and white or whatever, but it's not really, not really. (laughs) (laughs) And I have, I now have four shades of gray. Oh, that'll be plenty. I imagine that's good. Yeah. I just haven't gotten to it because I tend to make more work that has, that's, um, is it objective, subjective things that look like things as opposed to things that look like shapes. Yeah. I think it's objective. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> so I make I make work that oh, representational. That's what it is. That's, that's the better word. Yes, there we that's go. That's the word. Yes. <laughs> so most of my work is representational. Maybe it's a little abstracted, but when you're looking at it like you're like that is a flower. The that is grass. <laughs> that is a bee, you know. I <laughs> I tend to like making things like that, but Right. Um I kind of want to do some gradients because I just think it'd be nice satisfying right. to look at. That's all for today and on this relationship with folk art and that background. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find Domenica on Instagram at madartsy. That's M-A-D-A-R-T-S-C-I. And Griffin on Instagram at North River Art. That's N-O-R-T-H-R-I-V-E-R-A-R-T. If you would like to contribute any interesting or colorful plastic bags to our projects, please mail them to Plasticity Podcast, P.O. Box 7379, Cross Lanes, West Virginia, 25313.